For those outside of the women's health research space, you might be wondering why exactly we need dedicated women's health research. Today, we're very excited to welcome Dr. Ariane Albert, Senior Biostatistician, and Dr. Lisa Galea, Scientific Advisor at the Women's Health Research Institute, to join us on our podcast. Together, they explore this question, touching on topics like sex and gender-based analysis, the need for dedicated women's health research funding, and how the research community can rally together to continue moving the needle on women's health. To access the papers and figures discussed in today's episode, or to learn more about Dr. Albert or Dr. Galea, check out our show notes. Now, without further ado, I'll pass the mic over to Dr. Albert. Hi, I'm Ariane Albert. I am the Senior Biostatistician at the Women's Health Research Institute. Um, I basically support all of our members in data analysis and experimental design um, from projects that involve students and residents all the way up to um, PIs and so on. Uh, I have a PhD in evolutionary zoology, so I've come some distance from where I started, um, but this work is very interesting and fulfilling. Um, and today I'm going to be speaking with Lisa Galea. Galea? Galea? Galea. See, I never Galea. get it right. Galea. That's okay. Yeah. It's it's actually, if you really want to pronounce it properly, it's Galia. 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 What's the root of that one? Uh, it's Maltese. Um, oh. And not always, not, do ever, not does everybody know where Malta is, but it's a tiny little island in the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where my dad's from. And so when I say Galia, you know, in Canada, we sort of change it to Galia. Uh, if you say that on, on the island of Malta, no, look, everybody looks at you very confused. So I've learned right. that when I'm in Malta, you have to say Galia. Right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Anyway, today I'm talking to Lisa Galia. Ga no, I can't even do it. <laughs> Galia. <laughs> Galia. <laughs> uh, and she will uh, introduce herself now. Hi, my name is Lisa Galia, and I'm a professor at uh, University of British Columbia in the Department of Psychology, and I'm a scientific advisor for the Women's uh, Health Research Institute at uh, BC Women's in Vancouver. Okay, so today I think that we are talking about uh, why women's health research broad topic. So I think um, there's a lot of directions that we could go in. Um, I think generally it's why do we need both dedicated women's research and why do we need women in research and, and all of those kinds of facets. So let's see where we can, what we have time to talk about today, because I know you and I could probably talk about this for a really long time. Yes. Um, yes. So why don't we start with that overarching question of why we think that it's important to have dedicated research into women's health. Oh, there's just so many ways I can start with this mm -hmm. question. As you said, is really broad. And what is just women's health research in general? And it right. often gets confused with sort of, um, you know, the obvious secondary sex characteristics, breasts and the genitalia and yeah. you know, gynecological cancers and things of that nature in terms of women's health, which is definitely part of it, but it's not all uh, what women's health is about. So 
Why women's health? Um, because women's health, uh, I'm going to start with my punchline first, which is why uh, women's health is not just how we differ from men, mm-hmm. right? It's how are my, our, you know, maybe female unique experiences, but also any experiences can change our uh, biology or physiology, even our sort of psychosocial situations that will impact our disease susceptibility and maybe even our treatment. Mm-hmm. So um, I could go many different directions yeah. there. Well, so it's less it's less about thinking how we compare to some ideal male baseline, right? right? Or even a, a control. You know, what mm-hmm. what's the sort of control for an average uh, female or an average woman? That there, there, there is no such thing, right? Um, and we have to consider that. Um, you know, for years the bias has always been to study men and males. Uh, yes. And not to add in females, that females were just an estrogen version of males. And uh, it's clearly not the case, but unfortunately, that's sort of been ingrained in terms of the research and the science and the medical community, so much so that very little emphasis has been placed on specific women's health issues. Um, and uh, there's been a swing very recently to study uh, sex and gender-based analysis. That's what uh, CHR, which is our Canadian Institute for Health Research, um, has advocated for the last, uh, I would say, five to 10 years or so. They've been advocating for this. Uh, and NIH came out with a policy called, very close called SABV, which stands for Sex as a Biological Variable. And the impetus, I, I believe, from both of those initiatives has been to include females in the research itself. So there's a lot of male bias research. We need to include females. Uh, but I, I think that's just a first step that we need to take an extra step um, to, t- to, st- to specifically study women's health research. Why? Because it's been chronically underfunded, so we can talk about that. Yeah. And because our, 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 as I said, the female unique differences, so whether we're taking oral contraceptives or menstrual cycle, uh, yeah. pregnancy, how all of that, menopause, all of that uh, can impact our health and needs to be studied. So I think we'll swing back around to some of those issues, but maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the historical um, issues surrounding women's health research. And, you know, you did touch on how women hadn't been included in any of the, or most of the health research that had been occurring up until fairly recently, even. Um, and what kind of impact that has had on the advancement of health in general, and not just in health science in general, not just for women, but for everybody. Yeah, I think that while there's been significant strides in a lot of areas of health, um, we haven't as probably people are very well aware, we haven't made as much progress as maybe we'd like to. So, for example, in uh, dementia or cancers, for example. Uh, and women in general will suffer from uh, more side effects of drugs, uh, surgical side effects. Uh, they also, uh, there was a very large study a couple of years ago that came out, of, I believe, out of Denmark, showing that on average women are diagnosed with the same disease two years later than men are. Um, and that doesn't have anything to do with disease manifestation, uh, although they can be different, but uh, coming at uh, an earlier time point in life from uh, males versus females, it's just from a lack of understanding the uh, differences between men and women, I, I would argue. Right. And do you think some of those issues, like uh, there being more side effects of drugs in women, is that partly a result of women having been excluded from um clinical trials on those drugs or is it a physiological difference do you think 
Well, I think it's both of those yeah. things. So I think they're wrapped up together. But yeah, it's definitely um, due, you know, primarily to a lack of having females in these clinical trials. And even if they do have them, there's a lack of uh, looking statistically at whether males and females are different, uh, responding differently to drugs. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a very uh, uh, famous example of that, and that is uh, Ambien, which is a sleep aid. Uh, mm-hmm. The FDA, when was it? I think in 2014, I believe. Um, they finally said uh, that a different dose needed to be used for for men versus women. Uh, and that was because women were waking up in the morning feeling more sleepy, uh, essentially. And a dose, um, and I don't know how much the audience will understand about a dose, but it's like how much drug per um, kilogram per mass mm-hmm. per weight that someone is. So you can imagine even on our, uh, you know, aspirin and pain relief medication, Tylenol and Advil, it doesn't say uh, take two pills if you are, you know, over 100 kilograms yeah. and take, <laughs> um, it just says take one or two tablets. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, just in general, women weigh less. And so they're, if you're given the same amount of drug, they're going to have more in their system. Yeah. Um, so, there, so, there's, so there's a dose issue yeah. often with medication. Uh, but secondarily, uh, we, we know the physiology is different. You know, we, we look different on the outside, but we're also mm-hmm. different on the inside, right? Every, every one of our cells is XX or XY. We, none, none of those cells ex- escape that uh, sex chromosomes. And that has some uh, cascading effects in terms of our physiology. And so with Ambien, even in the early days, um, the information that was given to the FDA, there was a few little points in there showing that uh, uh, women had more drug in their system in the morning after, but it wasn't looked at. It was not something that was, um, uh, you know, sort of seriously examined. Uh, And it wasn't until, I don't don't know how many years it was on the market, quite a few years, Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say over 20, that, um, uh, you know, more and more reports came out. And then they looked at this seriously and and, and notice that there were these differences that needed to be accounted for. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to be partly a failing of not just design, but analysis as well. And I know that we're going to, we're going to circle back to that a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about um, how there's been a history of underrepresentation of women. And so that means that the drugs haven't been tested uh, using women's physiology. What do you think that kind of where do you think that kind of leaves us now in terms of catching up you know so what 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 are the things like is this why we need to have more of a dedicated funding for women's health research you know is it is it a catch-up that we're trying to do or what you know what what's yeah what do you think that's happening there I mean, what I personally think is happening is that we're not trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. Now, now what I think the, the you know, health authorities and the federal uh, agencies are asking us to do is to add both males and females. And the, the idea being add females, because most people are using males. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have historically, and they still continue to do so. There's been quite a few studies, recent, not quite a few, but there's been a few studies recently looking at the proportion of studies uh, that are in females only versus males only. And uh, females or both sexes and um, females only studies are just minuscule amount of the studies that are being yeah. done and they continue to be. Uh, whereas the males, I, you know, or depending on what area of research you're looking at, there 
they tend to be around the, you know, 40 to 50% of the studies that are coming mm-hmm. out are in males only. So I think there's a big push to, to put both sexes into these studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, while I think that's a, a good direction, I worry about the analysis, still the representation, yeah. because a lot of studies are coming out without equal representation of uh, the sexes, never mm-hmm. mind gender, which is a whole other uh, ball of wax. Um, and, and then the, the secondarily, the analysis of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the advice that's going out to researchers, I also have some, as you know, as we've talked mm-hmm. about this, I have some issues with, because um, the advice has been, uh, a lot of the researchers pushed back and said, we can't do this because we have to double our sample size and that's mm-hmm. too expensive and absolutely research is expensive. Um, but, um, maybe we don't need to double our sample size, but that doesn't mean that we should be using the same sample size we have been all along because we're, yeah. we're going to be underpowered to find, uh, sex differences where they do exist. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there potentially is more funding just in general, <laughs> right? I mean, well, isn't that always the answer? Like we, we, just, we need yes. more money. Um, I mean, but I think I, I do think this might be a, a time during this COVID nineteen and our uh, you know pandemic lockdown that people start to understand this is why you need research. This is why research is so, so important because science. I, somebody said this on Twitter recently. I thought this was very smart. Science is going to get out us out of this mess mm-hmm. that we're in right now. Right? The research and the science. We can't just poof come up with a vaccine or poof come up with treatments we actually have to test them mm-hmm. um and so yeah we need i mean in canada specifically we are we're uh, in terms of the g7 we are and even beyond the g7 where we woefully underfund research and then i i did an analysis not long ago um looking specifically in canada for women's health research so dedicated questions on women's health and, and given that we're 50 percent of the population I think you probably already know, but do you want to guess what percentage of the research dollars are going to women's health? Oh, gosh. I imagine it's probably smaller than I would hope it would be. Um, 10%? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, one, so depending on the funding mechanism that you are looking at, it's between 1% and 8% of the oh funding is coming. And so, and what about sex differences? So, so now I, we've already talked about, you know, since 2000, and I think it's 2009 that CHR came out with, uh, yeah. You know, they wanted a sex and gender based analysis approach. Um, I think it was really great that they did it. What what they didn't do initially was make it mandatory. So right. so, so now it's mandatory, but it, and it's supposed to be uh, wrapped up in the scorable features of the grants, which just means are you going to get funding or not? Yeah. Um, uh, but it's not clear how reviewers weigh this and whether they weigh it equally. But so so let's just say. Sex differences, it's very highlighted now, mm-hmm. sex and gender-based analysis. So, uh, and that's really started in 2016. So if you were to look at the percentage of grants coming from CHR specifically uh, before 2016 versus after 2016, what percentage do you think looked at sex differences before versus after? And yet, how, much, how much do you think they changed? Oh man! So if the dedicated it was just recently the dedicated funding was eight percent. That was for women's health. So now for women's health. So now sex differences, sex differences. Yeah, which I would expect to be a smaller proportion of that. 
I'm going to say it probably didn't change much and it's probably around 2%. It is exactly 2%. Is it really? Uh Uh-huh. And uh, it didn't change at all. So after the mandate, it hasn't changed at all. Now that's like specifically looking at sex differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people will argue, well, I didn't write it in my abstract because we just looked at abstracts because that's not a focal point of our research. But I would argue if it's not a focal point of the research, then we're not going to be any further ahead. No, if you're absolutely. just adding, adding females or, um, or adding males and, uh, you know, it's, we're not going to get further. I'll so, tell you another really annoying thing if you'd yes. like. Mm-hmm. It's, Always. it's, it's uh, it's not it's not out there yet, but let's put it out in there on this podcast. And that is that, and this is just anecdotally because I've been trying to get the actual data so I can right. collate it. Um, but when people when researchers write a grant, uh, they often don't get the funding on the first try, and then there's reviewer comments, and you have to address those reviewer comments. Um, and in back in those reviewer comments. Uh, uh, I won't tell you what university it is, but uh, one of the grants officer um, offices t- told me that they see many more reviewer comments that say add males than they say add females. So for whatever reason, the women's health grants that are coming in that are specifically targeting females and a female-specific issue, right. um, they're being told on a much more... Uh, uh, often basis to add males, but the reverse is not happening that is because it's the, de- it's the default. Yeah. It's the default, right? I don't, I don't know that people are, uh, you know, being biased and you know, it's like unconscious bias. It's just the default that everyone's using males, so people don't question it. But if yeah. you're now all of a sudden using females, why are you? Oh no, we need to pay attention to sex. I think it just it, it tweaks people's minds more. Well, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. So, a a what's the like if we're going to be talking about sex differences and studying sex differences, it might be a good idea just for us to um, define what we mean by sex versus gender. Cause there's the yes. sex, there's the sex and gender based analysis, um, from CAHR that we need to do. So what's that sex and gender? And then spe- focusing specifically on sex, uh, cause we've been talking about differences between sexes. How, how are they being studied and how do we think that they could be better investigated? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, wow, there's a lot of time passed there's there. There's a lot of time passed there, so maybe we should just start with the first one. I mean, yeah. sex and gender, right? Yeah, so and I am definitely not the person to talk about gender, but I will tell you what I've learned from listening to other people. I'll tell you the definitions that CHR uses and the, yeah. who the World Health Organization yeah. uses, which are, so sex is a biological or physiological characteristic that defines males, which is females. Um, and, uh, gender is more of a psycho. So you can think of it in a number of different ways, but one of them is a psychosocial constructs, which is what a given society deems appropriate for, uh, men versus women in terms of their roles in society. So, uh, you know, whatever caregiving, mm-hmm. uh, making the meals, that kind of thing. I, I, in some of my talks, I have a picture of my husband vacuuming. Yeah. <laughs> and I always like that one. That's good um, one. it is a good one. Uh, but uh, you, you people will often think of gender, and this is not wrong, as gender identity. Mm. Um, so whether you think of yourself as a, a man or a woman or binary or two-spirit um, is a whole separate issue. And uh, a lot, no, I would not say a lot of research has done on that. Very little research has mm-hmm. done on that um, uh, yeah. for, you know, many, many reasons. But, but I think one of the, one of the, 
key points here to make is that those the um, sex is a biological determinant and the gender roles don't necessarily align, right? So you can have a gender that doesn't align with your sex chromosomes, for example, or your... You can also have masculine or feminine characteristics despite what your uh, biological sex is. Exactly, exactly. When we're talking a lot about medical kinds of research or health research, uh, although gender is obviously an important part of that, a lot of the research that you do, which is further... um, I don't know, upstream, I guess. It's not, I'm not quite sure how to say that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's much more on the mechanistic, biological, physiological level. A lot more in that case has to do with sex differences per se, rather than necessarily gender differences. Yeah. And I, I mean, even in the work I do, which is um, more preclinical in nature. That's what I was um, going for. <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> um, I would say that, uh, um, you know, we, there are definitely, and not just from my lab, but in other people's research as well, there are definitely what we would, what I would define as sex by um, environmental uh, interactions. And so environment, you can sort of think of as being the gendered part, right? The society and the, um, and how that might influence a male versus a female, you know, biological trait that you might be looking at, maybe not biological trait, but an outcome based Mm -hmm. on sex. Um, so yeah, sorry. I, I, uh, probably went off on a tangent there. Okay. It's complicated, right? It's complicated. And the other thing that somebody brought up uh, the other day in another meeting that I was at, that I thought was really fascinating was uh, because again, this is not my area of research, but, um, if people are trying to capture gender identity, Mm -hmm. Uh, often what they'll write is, you know, uh, do you identify as man, woman, trans woman, trans man, you know, binary to spirit or other. And um, trans women identify as women. They mm-hmm. don't identify as trans women. Yeah. So they'll pick w- woman. Um, same with a trans man. They don't identify as a trans man. They identify as a man. And so it's sort of a, you know, we have, we have a lot of learning to do yes. to understand how to best capture identity. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why, partly why we're so behind or the field is so behind yeah. on those um, issues. So uh, biological sex tends to be the, um, uh, you know, one that people pay more attention to. Even often, you know, people get the terms wrong all the time. So yes. uh, one of my favorite examples is in the fish literature. Uh, so 99% of the literature in fish refers to gender rather than sex when they, when they actually, obviously they mean sex because yeah. fish don't. <laughs> well, you know, some fish do have gender roles, but yes. <laughs> and they do sex change a lot. Right. right? So yeah. Cichlids, I think are the main ones, right? They uh, change. No, they're uh, some kind cichlids, of isn't it? Uh, angel fish. Clownfish? Clownfish? Are no, they no, they're, um, it's they're refish, some kind of angel fish. Yeah. Isn't it finding Nemo? Like the joke is that, Nemo's mom would have disappeared, but then Nemo's dad would have just turned into the mom. <laughs> it would be it would be the opposite way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's there are some fish like that for sure, and it's a size based sex yep. change, right? So yeah. once they get to yeah. be a certain size, then they switch. Yeah, it's fascinating. Population anyway. too, but anyway, we're not yeah. talking about sex population, sex ratio, and yes. um, <laughs> but environment. It's all environment. Yeah, I mean, for sure. so if you think about it in the animal literature, yeah, it is a and gender you can think of as maybe an environmental. Why should we study sex differences though? And and I think that's one question. We kind of have touched on that a little bit, right? And then how are they studied now, and how should we do it differently? 
Right. So I guess uh, just rolling back, uh, you know, very few, I think the latest data I saw, uh, it depends on the journal and it depends on the um, specific area, medical research or uh, uh, biological research that you're interested in, uh, there can be quite a, a difference. So uh, one field that's really terrible is immunology, actually. Really? Uh, immunology, yeah. Immunology should be front on our minds right now because, yes. uh, you know, hopefully the answers to our uh, pandemic issue will come from immunology. And they're one of the worst disciplines in terms of uh, disclosing what sex they use. Uh, oh. So even in a paper, they won't tell you whether they use males or females. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's a number one, probably problem is that, mm-hmm. um, there's a large proportion. It's getting smaller as there's more, um, attention being made to SABV and SGBA. And I, and I, I don't mean to harp on immunology. I mean, that most of the disciplines are quite bad. Um, and even if they use both sexes in their studies, they very rarely analyze by sex. And so we talked right. about that a little bit, but it's, I don't know if people appreciate how bad it is. So, um, it would be say t- t- like 80% of the studies do not, even if they use both sexes in their studies, they do not analyze by sex, 80%. And, and so they're just basically reporting an average. They're just basically reporting an average. But an average effect between the sexes. Right. And there are many examples of a drug or a treatment working better in males versus in females. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this because historically yeah. it's been done in males. And so uh, females are suffering from more side effects, mm-hmm. probably because they were designed to be used in males. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also think of a situation where a drug might have a positive effect. Let's make it in females, positive effect in females, but a negative effect in males. Yeah. And if you put them together, that results in a, a, a null effect. And so yeah, a net zero different. Yeah. A net zero effect of the intervention. And yeah. we're, and we're, and in that case, we're losing therapeutics that we would mm-hmm. work at may. Okay. It was only going to work for 50% of the population, but it works in 50%. Then you work on trying to figure it out in the other 50% of the population. And, and yeah. COVID-19 is a good example of this because the mortality rates are very high in, man, in, in mm-hmm. men and males, particularly 70 and above. And so um, you might expect a therapeutic to be sex-specific or yes. at, at the very least work better in males than it does in females. Um, yeah. And so and studying females might lead to the therapeutic in males. That's the other reason you know a very good reason i think to 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 look at both yeah absolutely and so i think that maybe comes around to one of our discussion points which was going to be why looking at sex as a biological variable or sex and gender-based analysis which is what the nih and chr want us to do why that isn't the complete answer to understanding um sex differences and uh, women's health, making it making advancements in women's health. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a couple of things. Let me see if I can uh, remember what I want to say, um, because there's again a lot to unpack there. So, so one is that um, n- neither NIH or CHR is mandated. Uh, like the sample size has to be the same, right. or what an appropriate sample size is, and that it is hard to mandate. So, I, you know, I give them uh, some leeway there. Um, uh, because we don't know effect sizes and you know what what's feasible in any given mm-hmm. study, but the, because they're not uh, sort of giving direction on that, and they're not giving necessarily direction on the analysis or the type of analysis. So uh, CHR has analysis in there, right? Sex and gender based analysis, the A B analysis. Yes. However, 
Um, of the 20% of studies that are, and it's getting a little better, so say about 30% of studies that are analyzing, it's about 26% uh, right now, but of the 26% of studies that are analyzing, they, as part of that analysis, they're using an ANCOVA, which I know mm-hmm. you aren't understand right away, are you? but what that means is that they're using sex uh, and or gender as a covariate. And all that's doing is statistically removing, I think, the linear association. You should be able to describe this better. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, it's doing what I said before, and it's averaging out the effect between the right. groups. And removing it, right? But so you're not, you're not analyzing yeah. by sex. You're not analyzing by gender. You're, you're removing it, that effect. Yeah. I mean, you, you can. You can look at what that You can, you can look is, at what the covariate but, is, but do people normally do that? not i don't know i haven't i don't, I don't think not so. i mean there have been <laughs> no there has there's one there's there's another one that i recently saw but uh uh i can't quite remember where that comes from but the one that i've talked about the more often is uh one on asthma and they looked at single mm. nucleotide polymorphisms and they found mm-hmm. 47 i think something like 47 um differences between uh boys versus girls um, and then they did the analysis. They they lumped them together like it didn't matter. They used it as a covariate. Um, so of the forty seven, they only found they lost twenty six, twenty six percent, twenty six of those. So more than fifty percent of those uh, polymorphisms disappeared when you used yeah. a covariate. Possibly because they had either um, effects in opposite That's directions, exactly right. or That's yeah. exactly right. Most of them were in the opposite directions. Yeah, so then when you average it out, you get the null, the null effect. I mean, there's ways. So they stratified by sex in that they they analyze each sex separately, right? And that's how they found their. Well, they were. I think they were trying to prove a point to show, hey, if you use right. sex as a variable, this is how much richer your data set is. If you don't pay attention to it, this is what you lose. So in that, in their case, they were yeah. actually trying to say this is why it's important to use sex as a biological right. variable. Um, so most people are not as sophisticated a statistician as Ariane to even be able to take take that information and realize, oh, there might be something really interesting in here in terms of sex. Most yes. people, are, uh, you know, probably don't want that complication. So one of the other horrible historical things has been we don't want to study, and you'll still see it. You'll still see it actually in articles. Well, they'll say. We excluded females because they're much more, uh, you know, uh, they would be confounding the data. So somehow we mess up the data. And so they don't want, I can show you examples of this um, from. Yes. And our listeners can't see my eyes. <laughs> I think the... They might be able to hear it in my, the tone of right. our voice. But yeah. So, you know, the idea that females are messier because of our hormones um, and I want to I want to dissuade the listeners of that notion uh, right away. There, there have been a number of studies in animals and in humans showing that females are not noisier. They don't have a greater variance than males do. They have exactly the same variance, but the variance might be due to different things. So so it could be due to hormone levels for sure. Um, but it's not that male hormone levels aren't just making it as messy as female hormone levels, right? But the variance is the same. And the, yes. the, the other point I want to make about this that um, a lot of people don't understand, you know, we, oh, women are hormonal and it's our menstrual cycle. And um, certainly I've been known to have some irritability during certain portions of my menstrual cycle. But um, 
men and males also have uh, hormonal cycles and, and they're not on mm-hmm. a monthly rhythm. They are on a daily rhythm. So testosterone levels right. vary dramatically across the day. And there's a huge uh, 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 age effect too in that. And, um, and as men get older, particularly in the 40s and 50s, they have these much, drama- much more dramatic fluctuations in testosterone levels across the day. So one of my standard jokes is like, who's more of a hormonal now, right? I mean, if women right. have a 28-day cycle, but men have a daily cycle, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, it seems like a very weak excuse. It's a weak excuse, but it has stuck in the literature, um, unfortunately. Um, and I think people think that, you know, that, oh, we're going to have to, uh, you know, account for it. And it's just much, it's just too it's complicated. It's too complicated. Um, right. But that's, that's certainly not the case. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's one more variable that to look at, or you don't need to look at it because they're, they're going to be just as variable males and females from rats to, to humans. Um, the variability yeah. is not going to, to, to matter. I mean, it's going to matter, but well, no, and, and, and it, it but, matters, but yeah, what I like to, to say to folks is that the, if the effect isn't large enough to overcome that variability, it's probably not a worthwhile treatment. See, anymore. this is why we get along because I say the same thing. <laughs> if something like that is going to influence, it doesn't matter. So, right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's too, too minor of an effect. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and they, um, so Carol, no, I was just going to say, you know, think about what we lose when we don't consider sex or gender as a factor. We lose the fact that a treatment might work in one sex for the, versus the other. Like that mm-hmm. is a real, that's a crime. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, one other thing I'll say is there's a lot of clinical trials, you know, people probably heard clinical trials are failing all the time and we're not very good at designing yeah. drugs. And that's for a number of reasons. But another thing that I would say is, one major reason for that might be that people are not considering sex as a factor. So, uh, yeah, I think this is just something important. It's, it's, it's almost like a, an ethical issue, right? That we need to consider both sexes in our analysis and in our studies. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is, and we've talked about this and we, we wrote about it a little bit in our paper was that the sample sizes that you need to do that properly are actually usually quite a lot larger uh, than what you would need for a single sex study, or if you were just controlling sex as a covariate. And I think part of the issue there is that there isn't the funding hasn't increased to the point where maybe you could ask for that. But it, yeah, I'm not sure what the solution is to that problem. No, and you're absolutely right. Um, and it's it's interesting because even when you're trying to publish something that shows a sex difference, we we get that criticism a lot that, oh, it's just a small sample size and uh, you shouldn't really be looking at this, even if you find a big difference. So mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, or, you know, you're, you, you ask that question at a talk, you know, somebody, oh, you know, did you look at sex as a factor? And they'll always use that I, I don't have the power to look at it. Now, I would argue mm-hmm. that, um, you know, if you don't look, you don't look at what the, well, I don't know, you know, FX sizes are within each sex, you're not going to know, right? And that will give you mm-hmm. some indication, yeah, exploratory analysis. I don't, I don't know statistically mm-hmm. how we can, uh, you know, uh, do it properly, but there are ways mm-hmm. of, of at least looking to see, oh, I see them going the same direction or actually, no, I see something 
very different. Yeah, you can. And I mean, and the thing is that it's the same as with all these kinds of models and tests and that the bigger the difference right. in effect between males and females, the smaller the sample is that you need to see right. it, right? right? And so if there is a large difference, um, then it's easier to see. It's just if we want to find subtler differences in, um, in outcomes for males and females, then it does require quite a lot of a larger sample size. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's partly where we're at. I mean, maybe that's why we're feeling a little bit stuck is that the money for research isn't going up. Right. And so the, so there's two other things. So one is, um, if people, you know, uh, I don't want to say that they're giving up because, you know, researchers were, we're taxed a lot in terms of our brain power. Um, but some people just not interested in looking at whether sex or gender plays a role. I think that's okay. I don't, I don't agree with it, but that doesn't, I don't think we should force people to do it. I mean, that's essentially Mm -hmm. what these are trying, these mandates are trying to do. Uh, what I think might be better is to have open repositories. I mean, there's issues with that too, but then for people like me and you that are really interested in it, then we can take a deeper dive into the data to look and see Mm -hmm. whether there's something there. I mean, a lot of this is federal money, it's public money. And so why shouldn't we be able to look at it? The second thing is, um, uh, uh, so I, 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 in terms of women's health, again, it's different than how we differ from men's health. So our health is not just how we differ from males in terms of that drug treatment, but, um, you know, some of my preclinical work shows mm-hmm. that, um, in a middle-aged, uh, rodent that, uh, uh, the, the eff- effectiveness of a memory aid matters depending on whether the female had given birth or not before, which is pretty amazing, um, I think. And even in terms of things like postpartum depression, and uh, I don't know as much about postpartum OCD or anxiety disorders, but at least for depression, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see different levels of efficacy in in the common antidepressants Mm -hmm. during the postpartum period versus other periods in a woman's life. And so, or and I think that that that's the kind of work that also really matters. And you're yes. not going to necessarily get at that by studying sex differences. No, for sure. So those would be sex specific kinds of analyses, and we do need to make sure that we have funding for those as well. Right. Um, I kind of feel yeah. like. So one of the examples that we gave in that paper that we wrote together and that I've given in a talk is that, you know, you need, I think, personally, you, you get people interested in studying uh, different um, uh, questions by putting the money there. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are interested in COVID-19 right. and discovering what's going on, not just to try and get rid of some of these social distancing things that we're going through right now, but because that's where the money is. Yeah, There are sure. so many requests for funding right now um, for COVID-19 research. So you're going to see a lot of researchers moving into that area. If you did um, something similar for sex differences or women's health, like put out a requisition for funding, you're going to see mm-hmm. a lot of people go to where the money is. True. Right. Not, not everyone, not everyone's going to do that, but you're going, and you're going to get better grants. You're going to be people, dedicated people that are, you know, maybe new to the, even new to the field, but that are really interested in looking at these questions. Yeah. And I think we're, we're just going to be further ahead personally. I, I believe if we do that. And one of the examples I like to give is the HIV Mm-hmm. Um, research. So, you know, whatever, 30 years ago, I think the, the life expectancy was about 20 years. If you were 
diagnosed with HIV, and now it's pretty much 70 years, I think, if you're yeah. diagnosed, yeah. I think it's something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's almost as long as it is for someone without HIV. Right, which is like, that's a phenomenal difference over that yeah. 30 years. And when you look at how many billions, billions of dollars in the U.S. is going to HIV funding, it's, it's a tremendous amount. And that, that's why we got there. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's because people were dedicated to finding the answers and that's what we need. So that seems, yeah. So, I mean, so that seems like a solution in a way, right? That we need to have that. How, I mean, I don't know if you have any ideas for how we can make that happen. Is it a government lobbying situation? Actually make that happen. I mean, I do, I think, I, I, I don't think that people, the public realizes how bad and how one-sided the research has been. Um, mm-hmm. And so if they knew, I, I think there would be a little bit of an uproar. It's almost like the suffragettes, right? It was right. just in their face. You can't vote because uh, here, here in this case, it's like, oh, oh, you have uh, you know, lung cancer. Oh, we don't, we don't know if this therapy works in women or not or women over 50 or not, but we know that it works in a 20 year old male. Like yes. that, that's not so uh, helpful all the time. Um, so it, I, I do think it's a little bit of, I, I think this federal government, uh, Canada is very much aware, um, that we need more dedicated funding that the new mandate letter to the minister of health included a national, natural, na- national center for women's health. So right. I do think it's coming. I, you know, with this COVID situation, I'm sure it'll be put to the back burner a little bit, yeah. but, um, I, I, I think it's getting people to be to um, to recognize that this is an issue. I, you know, I, I a lot of researchers are starting to recognize it. I don't know that it's really even at the forefront of all researchers' thoughts about sexual mm-hmm. biological variable. I think some for some people it's like a nuisance variable that they yeah. have to uh, consider. Um, so uh, yeah, more funding, much <laughs> more funding in general for research. Hopefully, people see the value of. Uh, research in our, our, our current situation and, and research that's equitable, right? It's not just mm-hmm. when we talk about females and women's health, um, it's bad. Obviously, we don't have very little knowledge on uh, females in general, but mm-hmm. any, like women of minority uh, or of uh, low socioeconomic status, all of those things play a role in our social determinants of health and yeah. intersect in ways that we just don't know. And there's even less funding on that. Also equally right. important. All right. So now that we've had this really great discussion about uh, why women's health research and sex differences and so on and where we're at and where we should go, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I just reiterate again that female health is not just how we are different from males, uh, that frankly for women's health, many things matter. So menopause matters or contraceptive use matters, childbearing matters for our health, both in the short term and the long term. And for these issues, we need to study females only. And we need funders, policymakers, the public, reviewers to understand and support more funding for women's health specific questions so we can close that gap. Exactly. Yes. Let's all work towards closing that gap. Thank you so much, Lisa, for talking with me today. And thank you to all of our listeners. And we will sign off. Thank you for having me. If you have an idea for an episode or have some research of your own to share, let us know. Send us an email at whri.communications at cw.bc.ca. 
For more information about WHRI, follow us on social media using the handle at Women's Research or check out our website at whri.org.